I've never really worn one of these before, so this will be fun. I don't know what to do with my hands. <clears throat> Normally I'm holding a mic. So my name is Corinne Reed. Um, my husband is Christian. He was helping with, or doing worship. I was helping. Um, I am a campus pastor with Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship over at um, University of Idaho. So if some of you know Annie, not Kornberg anymore, but Annie, um, she and I do uh, something very similar. Um, we host a church on campus for um, college-age students, and I love it. My husband um, is starting a grad program over at U of I for vocal performance, which is why he's the worship leader, um, <clears throat> not me. <laughs> but we are so blessed to be here. I'm honored. I'm really good friends with Annie and um, with Heidi and um, some of the ladies in this church because I got to go on the women's retreat, so that was really fun. Um, thank you. You guys are an amazing family, and I felt so welcome. So I'm excited to dig into it. I know you guys are on a sermon series, and um, I think it's 1 Corinthians. Um, I had something that kind of God laid on my heart, um, a message about um, the Sermon on the Mount, so we're going to deviate a little bit today. Um, also, forgive me, I, I work with college students, and I preach to college students, so some of my humor might be college-age humor, so bear, bear with me. It'll make you feel young again, right? Yes, perfect. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm going to pray to get started. Jesus, thank you so much for this time that you give us to study your word and be in community, and I just pray that you would um, really um, be, be the one speaking and sharing, that you would um, set my words aside, and um, what needs to be heard will be heard, what needs to be understood will be understood. Um, we welcome you here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so how many of you have heard the phrase, live your best life now? I am living my best life now. It's the, it used to be called YOLO. Now they just call it live your best life now. Um, <clears throat> I tend to see a lot on Instagram or Facebook with, like, the perfect edited photo, and I'm like, I'm living my best life, and they're under, like, a waterfall or on the beach, and they're laughing, and it's beautiful. And I wish I was there, <laughs> um, especially when the thunderstorms hit. Um, but I remember <clears throat> a long time ago, Christian and I had only been dating for, like, I think three months. I was in college, and I was on Christmas break, and I was in my bed, and I was scrolling through Instagram, I think, or Facebook, and I just remember being inundated with all these posts about perfect moms and how to be the perfect mom, and um, you have to get all dressed up and cute and then take your kids out and do a photo shoot, and I got, like, down this rabbit hole of, like, what to do and what not to do as a parent and the best way to be best at this, and I remember, like, having a panic moment and thinking, like, <gasps> I'm a horrible mother, and then I, like, snap back to reality and realize I'm not even a mother. I'm not even married. Like, oh, my gosh, Okay. <clears throat> we're good. <laughs> I don't even have children. <clears throat> but the advertising game was, like, strong. It got me, and I'm not even a mom. <clears throat> but it led me to believe that I wasn't living my best life, that there was something better out there. And maybe there's a little sleep deprivation. Who knows? But <clears throat> sometimes I think this idea leaks into the church as well, this idea of live your best life now. Sorry. And um, maybe it's not said outright, but it's implied sometimes in church. Um, or it's phrased like, Jesus wants you to live your best life. Um, again, maybe it's just implied. Um, I know that I would love to believe that Jesus wants me to live my best life. It sounds great to me. <clears throat> but then I read the Bible. <laughs> I go to my Bible and I read, and I read about Jesus and his life, and I realize that he actually didn't live his best life. He actually gave up his best life. He was hanging out in God's presence. He was in the kingdom of heaven. And he gave it up to be human and to learn how to be human. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk, take care of himself. He had to work hard. He had to learn how to work for his dad. 
if I had to work for my dad, we would probably kill each other. So I imagine that was hard. (laughs) He had to walk for miles and miles to get anywhere when he had started his ministry. He never had a home, truly, during his time on earth. He had friends who ended up betraying him, and he was murdered. We are called to follow Jesus. Thank you so much. (laughs) We're not necessarily called to live our best lives according to what the world's standards are for best lives. The future hope of God's kingdom, God's perfect kingdom, is what we get to look forward to. We get to live our best life in the next life. And I know that's not totally theologically correct, but it rhymed, so I liked it. We get to live our best life in the next life. In the meantime, we wait. We wait in this life. So what do we do while we're waiting on this earth, while we're here expecting God's kingdom in the future? Well, that's where we get into um, Jesus' life and his teachings. He gave us some great instructions on how to live on this earth now. And um, this sermon is from a series we did in our college, um, college ministry called Things Jesus Never Said. And we were focusing on the Sermon on the Mount and kind of addressing things that kind of get caught up in, in, um, in Scripture that are actually maybe not scripturally sound. <clears throat> so the question I asked our students was, why do we need to talk about things that Jesus never said? We live in a really loud world. I mean, I'm sure all of you have at least some point either heard of or played the game telephone, right? I play that a lot. We do telephone pictionary. It's hilarious. We're in tears by the end. It's awesome. But in a similar way with the scriptures, if we don't go back to the originals, things can get lost or confused in translation, right? Some days I realize I haven't ever, I haven't opened my Bible. I've just read Bible verses off of Facebook posts. And I'm just hoping and trusting that they're true. (laughs) But I haven't actually turned back to the scripture. And we can accidentally ascribe things to Jesus that he never actually said. And we sneakily start to believe things like, live your best life now, YOLO, or things like prosperity gospel, things that are really dangerous to the church. Um, So that's why we have to turn back to scripture and focus on what Jesus actually said. So if you have a Bible, if you have your phone, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And it's not, we're jumping kind of in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 13. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is it? What good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. <clears throat> so I grew up in the church, and I always heard this passage. It was a theme at vacation Bible schools. We heard sermons about it. We sang this little light of mine. It was great. But um, I, I really didn't understand what it meant. Like, I, does anyone really know what that means? Like, we just walk around and be like, mm, yes, be salt and light. But if someone were to ask you, like, well, what does that mean? Would you be able to explain? I couldn't explain it. <laughs> I, until I wrote this message, I honestly didn't really know. I just kind of thought I knew, or I just hoped I knew. <laughs> um, and so diving in, um, that the idea of salt, if we were to go back to Roman times when Jesus lived, there's a phrase, he or she 
isn't worth their salt. And it actually comes from that time. If he or she is not worth their salt, it means um, that they weren't worth their wages because in Roman times they would actually pay people with salt, specifically Roman soldiers, because salt was really valuable. It was considered a type of currency. So if someone wasn't working hard or if they were slacking off, they weren't worth their salt. That's where that phrase comes from. I didn't know that. It was awesome. So we can infer that if salt was considered valuable during that time, valuable enough to be currency, and Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth, we are valuable. But why was it valuable? We're valuable, but why? I I have all these questions all the time of like, I need to know why. Growing up, my dad instilled this in us. He would teach my sister and I new words by using them in random conversation, and then he would tell us to go look him what it meant. So for example, one day my sister and I were probably being annoying or ridiculous, <laughs> and he playfully said that we were a couple of reprobates. And I looked at him indignantly, and I said, I am not. Like, you don't even know what that means. And I was like, I do not. <laughs> and he said, go look it up. And I did not. <laughs> I was a stubborn child. Um, I waited. I just wanted him to think I knew what I, I, I tried. I was like nine. Um, and I was like, oh, dad called us a name. How could he do that? I'm going to go use that name with other people. And he's like, you better not until you look it up. I'm like, oh, great, okay. So finally, my sister and I went and looked it up, and reprobate means an unprincipled person, but is often used humorously or affectionately. So it was cute. My dad wasn't actually calling us a bad name, but we learned a new word, and now I could use it with other people. (laughs) Um, But my sister and I needed to know the definition of the word before we could understand the context of what was being communicated to us. So we need to learn the definition of salt and light before we can understand what's being communicated to us. So salt was valuable. Light was also valuable. Um, They honestly didn't have a lot of electricity back then. I don't know if you knew that or could guess that. Um, But it was light was not something they took for granted. It was expensive to light your home. Um, It took work to maintain it. You had to make sure there was oil in your lamps. You had to make sure the lamps were cracked. You had to make sure the wick was trimmed and working properly. You weren't going to, you had to make sure you weren't going to burn your house down. Um, Light is a little bit easier of a metaphor for us to grasp. And so we're just going to kind of leave it there, like light was valuable because you need light to see. That's why lights are on in here, why we can read, why we can work. Light and salt were both meant to communicate value in a way that in our culture we might not fully understand. So that's why we go back to the context. <clears throat> so understanding why it's valuable is important too. So we, why do we use salt today? I mean, it makes food taste better. I, I like food to be more salty than sweet. Um, anyone here like beef jerky? Yeah? Salted? Yes. Okay, good. We like salt today. Um, But back then, they didn't have refrigerators either. Surprise. They had no way of preserving food like we do today. So everything they had was salted and dried so that it wouldn't go bad. They had salt pork, salt fish, salt veggies, salt beef, salt lamb. I don't even want to know what their blood pressure was like. But salt was not just for enhancing flavor, but it was for preservation as well. So if we take this metaphor and run with it, Jesus is saying that we are valuable because we add flavor and distinctiveness to life, but we are also used to preserve life. We help keep life here on earth from spoiling or going rotten. So think about the people that you like to spend time with, the people that fill you up. In elementary school, 
I had a group of friends, and there's one friend in particular. Her name was Jessica, and I loved spending time with her because she was so funny on accident. She never tried to be funny. She just was a funny person, and she was hilarious to hang out with, and she flavored life funny. Um, when, when I had fallen away from Jesus after my freshman year of college, God planted me in a mission in Mexico in a group of people who exemplified the idea of salt and light. God used them to preserve what faith I had left. I had very little, but they kept my life from spoiling rotten completely. And to be honest, they made my life better. They added flavor. They were funny people. They were life-giving people. We didn't have bland, surface-level conversations. We went deep, and it was profound. Um, It was very complex. Their emotions and their responses were really valuable to me, and it preserved what I had left. Salt is even important when you're cooking sweet things, am I right? When you're making cookies or something sweet, if if you want it to taste sweeter, adding sugar would be your first guess, but actually adding salt makes the rest of it taste sweeter in a more complex way. I actually sprinkle finishing salt on top of my cookies when I'm done. So at this mission in Mexico, I was being marinated in salt. (laughs) I was being preserved in salt. I came to realize that being around these people made my life sweeter. I had been chasing things that I thought would make my life better. I had been doing, you know, going to parties, drinking, hanging out with the wrong people, doing whatever I felt like I wanted to do in the moment. But all that sugar, all that sweet stuff I was chasing after, it just made me sick. It really made me sick, both in my heart and physically. It was actually the salt that made things better and that helped me. so salt is valuable, not only because we flavor life, but because we preserve life on earth. What did these people do that made them salty? How can we flavor life and preserve life on here? How how can we be salty? How how do we do it? It, It's it's nice to talk about it, but um, something else I learned while researching this passage is that in ancient Middle Eastern culture, where Jesus lived, salt was not only a symbol of wealth, value, and preservation, but also a symbol of friendship. So many symbols in this one thing that Jesus talked about. In America, if you were to be salt someone, <clears throat> it means something completely different. <laughs> but back then, there was an Arab saying that's actually still used today that says, there's salt between us. It comes from the idea that because salt is necessary to bring together a meal, it symbolizes that your friendship has all the necessary ingredients to solidify it and bring it together. It meant that you have the good ingredients for a friendship. So um, salt was used also as a purifying agent. It cleansed. It was healing. Um, It's still true today. If any of you ever have gotten your ears pierced, they tell you to soak it in salt water, um, sea salt water. So that was another complex layer to that friendship of, like, not only does it have the necessary ingredients, but it's it's purifying. It's a purifying friendship. It's a healing friendship. Um, It's a cleansing friendship. Um, Jesus actually uses the sayings in Mark chapter 9. He says, you must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live at peace with each other. So it was, it was a common phrase. It was kind of cool thinking of like Jesus using modern slang during that time. Um, but there's so much complexity in this one image of salt, and I love it. So <clears throat> being salt of the earth is also about being in good relationship with one another valuable, it's preservation, and it's in relationship. So the song, how many of you have ever seen Sound of Music? It does not say a spoonful of salt makes the, sh- the medicine go down. <clears throat> it's valuable, but how many of you have ever put salt in your coffee instead of sugar? 
yeah, disgusting by itself is awful. Um, What happens if you salt your fries too much? It's inedible. If you salt your pasta too much, it's gross. The salt brings out the flavor of the other food, but it by itself is not a happy, happy flavor. Salt by itself is just salt. It's not doing much when it's just by itself. It's useless, unless it's paired with something else. To be the salt of the earth, we must be in relationship with people. To be the salt of the earth, we must be in relationship with people. We are to build healthy friendships that give life. So what does that look like for us? Jesus says that we have the ability to make healthy friendships that are flavorful and exciting, not dull, that are sweeter than anything that sugar could offer. (laughs) He gives us the power to have relationships that spark interest in God's kingdom, that future best life, which means being paired or flavorful with people who don't believe in Jesus too. That's maybe even more crucial to build a relationship with people who don't know Jesus, to, to, to bring on that interest. We get to bring joy to this earth. We get to bring fun. We get to bring excitement. We get to bring the promise of a future kingdom, the hope of a savior. It is so exciting, and that's because our best life is not here, because our best life is in God's future kingdom. <clears throat> Through Jesus, we can have relationships that not only flavor life, but they purify and they heal. We give wisdom. We hold each other accountable. We confess our sins. And the forgiveness of those sins through Jesus Christ happens in relationship with one another. With God's Holy Spirit, we can assist in the preservation of the goodness in this world. And we are valuable. We are the salt of the earth. So, salt and light. We know that light is just as valuable, but it has whole other complexities folded into it, different from salt. In the ancient world, if you needed light for something, it meant that you were doing something extremely important. Because normally you would do your work during the day hours, right? It's free light, it would dry your clothes, it would bake your bricks, it would grow your crops, it would, you know, harden your, whatever you need to harden food, whatever, give you a nice tan. You would do your work during the daylight. If you needed light after dark, it meant that you were doing something that was worth spending light on. It wasn't cheap or easy to light your home after dark. It meant that you were working on something that you were passionate about getting done. How many of you ever stay up late reading books at night? I literally did this Friday night. (laughs) It was like midnight. And I finally, Christian had to tell me that it's time to, you need to stop. And I was like, no, I'm so close to finishing. I I do it all the time. It's great. Um, my mom actually used to do it when she was little. She would read under the crack of her door. Um, and, like, she could see if her mom was coming down the hallway. And then, oh, quickly run to bed. <clears throat> That's where I got the idea. Um, <laughs> no. If you were burning the midnight oil in the ancient Middle Eastern culture, it meant that something that you were working on was important. And that it was important it got done that night. It could not wait until daylight. So by calling us light of the world, Jesus is connotating a sense of urgency It needs to get done. But what's the hurry? Why the rush? Why is it so important to be salt and light? Well, I would say just take a look at the world around you. Scroll through Facebook. Since the day that humans rejected God, the earth has been anti-God. It is full of sin, and there are hundreds of people around you who don't know what a truly full and hope-filled life is like, the kind that God gives. Without salt and light, the people in your workplace, 
the people that you hang out with, maybe the people in your family, people that you go to school with, they have dark and dull lives that are hopeless. They don't have the hope that we have. They don't have the true potential of the flavors that can be released in their life. We can't solve our problems in this world without Jesus. Your coworkers can't solve problems in this world without Jesus. Your family members and your classmates cannot solve the problems of this world without Jesus. There is no solution without Jesus. Without him, this is as good as the world gets. The salt loses its saltiness. It's useless. This urgency comes from um, other stories that Jesus told in the Bible. He told two stories about God's kingdom coming. And he, the first was the story of the bridegroom in Matthew 25, and it was ten bridesmaids who were waiting for the bridegroom to show up, but only five of them brought enough oil. And the five foolish bridesmaids who ran out of oil were out at the store getting more. The bridegroom came back. So only the bridesmaids who were prepared got to receive the bridegroom. The others were left out. Every single time in Scripture that Jesus talks about him coming back, context of it's happening soon and you're not going to know when. Unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Right after the story of the bridegroom and the bridesmaids, Jesus explains what happens when he does come back. That he's going to separate all people like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will recognize and welcome those who have a relationship with him. It says, and he knows that they had a relationship with him because Jesus said to them, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. But then he'll go to the other group and he won't recognize them because they didn't spend time with him. They didn't have relationship with him. It's extremely important to Jesus that we have relationship with him and that we flavor the earth. We need to be people who are in relationship with with other people, and with Jesus, and to bring other people in relationship with Jesus as soon as possible because we don't know when he's coming back. We don't know. We have no clue. Has anyone have um, ever had a like surprise visit from your parents or your in-laws or like a really short notice visit from your parents or in-laws? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's of urgency. We're like, oh no, quick, throw everything in the guest room. Throw all the dishes in the dishwasher. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> Urgency, unexpectedness. So, <clears throat> again, the people who don't have a relationship with Jesus in this world don't get to have a relationship with him after they die either. They don't get to be part of that future perfect kingdom that we're looking forward to that motivates us and that gives us hope. The, ba- the passage says that Jesus couldn't and didn't welcome them. So there's an urgency because it doesn't have to be that way. In 2 Peter 3.9, Jesus says the Lord, oh sorry, um, Peter says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to be in his future kingdom. And he has made a way for everyone to have the choice to repent and follow him. It's a part of God's plan to bring all peoples to him. And he gives us a choice to be part of that plan. And it's an urgent plan. <laughs> we gotta ha- it's got to happen soon. <clears throat> so how does us being salt and light in friendship and in healthy relationships with other people, how does that bring them to Jesus? 
How does that connection get made? Well, what happens when you eat a whole bag of potato chips, just straight up? I know I'm not the only one who's done that, right? I hope. (laughs) You get real thirsty, right? You need a glass of water after eating something really salty. And who is the living water that will never leave us thirsty? John 4, 13 through 14 says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving eternal life. John 7, Jesus says, on the last day, or sorry, John says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Only living water can quench the thirst that is brought on by being salt of the earth. Only the living water of Jesus Christ can quench the thirst that is brought on by being salt of the earth. We are not the saviors, but we point to the savior. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise who? Everyone will praise your heavenly father. We are here to help create a need and a thirst for Jesus, to point people to God. It's kind of like what, kind of like what advertisers do but in a loving way and maybe more pure of motive, right? But they purposely make something look really satisfying. Ice-cold droplets of water running down a fresh bottle of bubbly Coca-Cola while you're holding your salty bucket of popcorn that you've already eaten half of, right? Yeah, they make it look good. But the difference between advertising professionally and being salt of the earth is that we don't need to earn anything. We don't earn our place in God's kingdom. It's not a job to manufacture a feeling or desire. All the humans on this earth were created with the desire to be close to God already in us. Some people just don't realize it yet. Um, It simply means that we, as Jesus followers, we take joy in being useful to God because we know that we have a place in God's kingdom already. That future hope is a free gift of God. It means that we let Jesus' Holy Spirit make our lives better by obeying him. Just like in the commercials, um, people are usually portrayed candidly, right? Someone's just out for their daily stroll and they casually grab an ice-cold Pepsi out of the cooler and chug it with a label artfully, expertly turned, perfectly in view of the camera so you can see exactly what they're chugging. (laughs) These people just happen to be living their lives and you just happen to be given a glimpse of what they're doing and you want part of it. Except in the commercial, it's actually staged. It's not really their lives. But with us, it's actually our lives. We're supposed to just go about living our lives, obeying what God calls us to do. And that's what draws people into his kingdom. Things fall into place. For example, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. How many of you want more peace, want more joy, patience maybe? Yep, always tell everyone, be careful when you pray for patience because you'll get it. No, um, um, whenever I thought about the fruit of the Spirit, I would immediately get anxious. I'm like, okay, I need to be more joyful. Go! <laughs> or I need to be more patient. Go! Let's do it! <laughs> ah, and I would get impatient at myself for not being impatient enough, and then I would get angry at myself for not being joyful enough, and then I would get mean at myself for not being... Ca- it was a sick cycle that I could never get out of. And it would happen over and over and over again. And recently... I was given a new perspective on the fruit of the Spirit. I was, it was actually on the women's retreat with the ladies from this church, and one of them said that, you know, the fruit of the Spirit's already in your life. I was like, what? She's like, it's not your job to grow it or make it happen. It's just your job to accept it. 
it's already there on the tree. You just have to reach out and take it. Jesus is handing it to you. You just have to believe that it's there. And it completely freed me. I was like, what? You mean I'm a peaceful person? I am. I just, I need to stop believing the lies that say I'm not. I'm becoming a kind person, but I tend to believe the lies about myself rather than believing what the Holy Spirit says about me. I need to love and live, love God and live my life and accept the truth that he falls, that, that God speaks over me daily and that it all falls into place. I just need to obey what God asks of me. It's really that simple, but it's a lot harder than it sounds. But it goes way better than I could ever have planned. So Jesus is not telling us to just sit in a jar and be a bunch of salt together. He's asking us to accept the truth that you're loved. You have kindness. You have patience. You are flavorful. You are valuable. You have the ability to have really healthy and wonderful relationships. And he's telling us all of that so that we can be used by him. Jesus never said, earn your place in my kingdom. Jesus also never said, live your best life now. Now is when we partner with God and do the work of bringing people into the kingdom. As Christians, we're called to be salt and we're called to be light. We're called to let our choices, our preferences, our likes and our dislikes awaken the desire in people to want to know God better. We're called to accept the kindness and joy in our life so that other people can see it and want to be part of God's kingdom. To show the world that their desire for this best life is actually a desire for God's kingdom. They just don't know it yet. So at the very, very end, Jesus says, or sorry, at the beginning, he says, be careful of losing your saltiness or losing your light. And what does he mean by that? And I promise I'm coming to a close. I had a frank conversation a couple years ago with a student about um, some plans that had to change. She was expecting to get married, and they actually had to move the date of the wedding um, because of some sin and some hurt that had happened in the relationship. And it was heartbreaking for myself, for her, for her fiancé. And she asked me a really good question. And she said, you know, I really felt like God was leading me towards this option of getting married to him on this day. He really opened doors for things. And he led us to it. So why does it have to change? Does that mean that his original plan wasn't perfect? Was he wrong? Did I not hear him right? And I thought about it for a minute. And I thought about my own life and how my own plans had gone off the charts and how I've messed up time and time again. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you know, God's plans are perfect. And he leads us in that direction. But sometimes our humanness, our human sinfulness can complicate the plans. And maybe we end up on a detour. And maybe we, we have to go back a couple different detours before we get to the place where God wants to bring us. But that doesn't mean that the student, doesn't mean that she heard wrong. It doesn't mean that God was changing his mind. It didn't mean that I had messed up my own plans beyond repair. It simply meant that we had lost some of that saltiness because we weren't in relationship with Jesus. We weren't accepting the truth that he was speaking over us. It meant that we couldn't be used by God to the fullest potential that he wanted to use us. We lost some of our saltiness, maybe because we were not listening to him. That happens frequently to me. Sometimes I choose to be, like I said, validated by other things rather than Jesus. Um, how many of you only, when you were little, only asked mom certain questions because you knew you would get a yes? Yeah, or you only asked dad certain questions because you know he would say yes because he'd be confused? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> <clears throat> um, or you choose to vent about something. You need to vent about something that drives you nuts, but you 
purposely choose that one friend who has the same opinion as you so that they will validate your venting, right? Yeah, I do that. Um, Or maybe we lose our saltiness because we struggle to pay attention. It's not that we're not listening to him. We just have a really hard time listening to him. And sometimes I make myself so busy, I just can't listen to him. I have filled my time and my space so much that I, I can't even think about thinking about listening to him. And I prioritize things as more important than my time with God. So sometimes we lose our saltiness because we struggle to pay attention. Sometimes we lose it because we're just disobeying. We just, I mean, sometimes I hear what God is saying to me and I just say no. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I don't feel well today. I can't do it. I start to believe the lies. God tells me to go pray over someone. I'm like, well, what will people think? Or God tells me to give up this TV show that I, it's not edifying. Like, no, I, I can handle it. I'm okay. Sometimes it's because I just, I want to sin. And that's hard to wrestle with. But when I do that, when I choose other things over God, when I choose my sin over God, it, it points to me. It doesn't point back to Jesus. It points to me. It's really selfish. I'm not creating a thirst for Jesus. I'm creating a thirst for me. And that's not, that's not good. Back to the conversation with the student, I, I had wrestled with this idea of, you know, sometimes we lose our saltiness and that derails God's plans a little bit. But I also heard the Holy Spirit say, sometimes we're derailed and we're on a detour. But thank God, he is so strong and powerful that nothing, nothing I could do could change his plans for me. Absolutely nothing. We will still get to that point B, even if we have to go to A2, A3, A4, A5, A6 before we get to B. Sure, we might have to do some more healing or rehabilitation along the way than if we had just gone straight there. Maybe there's some kicking and screaming and pouting. You know, it's hard to obey God. I've been there. But there's so much grace because we are loved by a perfect and powerful God who takes care of us and cherishes us no matter where we are on our detours. So church, I want to leave you with this challenge. Are you working at being salt and light of this earth? Are you listening to God when he says that you are valuable, that you are useful, that you preserve goodness on this earth, that you need to be in relationship with all types of people? Does your life create a thirst for God, either in yourself and in other people? Does your life create a thirst for God? I'm going to pray to close this, and the worship team can come up. Oh, no, wait, sorry, not worship team. Whatever happens next can happen, but I'll pray to close. God, thank you so much for um, loving us and giving us instructions for how to live this life, because honestly, it's confusing and it's hard. Um, Please forgive us for the times when we go kicking and screaming or when we just create busyness in our lives and we tend to lose our saltiness. God, I pray that you would accept our offering of our humble lives today as we think about the ways that you speak love and life over us, as you bring joy and flavor to our, our life through our friendships, that you would um, put minds and our names, names in our hearts and faces in our, in, our, in our minds of who you want us to be in relationship with. Who needs to have a thirst for you? Um, who needs to be exposed to your gospel? Um, thank you, God, that you are so big and so powerful and so strong. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All righty.